Ben Kemper, Ben Kemper the chance and he's taken it, brilliant goal. Have a look at this for a turn on the edge of the box, absolutely brilliant. 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 I, I think we're a go then. Johnny Charples, hello. Hello, how I'm are you? Yeah, hello, I'm very well, thank you, and yourselves? I'm all right. Yeah, I'm not too bad. Uh, I've got a bit of a swollen tonsil actually, so if I sound like I'm slurring words, it's because of that. And if all he does, then it's he's because he's been daytime drinking. <laughs> May as well jump into it. What do you think of the whole Rafa leaving? Or what's your take on that as a Newcastle fan? He, sp- he sprung it on very early. Um, I've only just recovered from the news about him leaving. Um, I think he's. He's, I think we were lucky at Newcastle to have him for as long as we did. Yeah. Uh, he had many offers, mainly from China. Um, uh, as soon as he joined, basically, every summer contract negotiation, whenever he had offers. So it, it wasn't a great surprise that he, he left because why, why would he want to carry on working in those conditions with little investment? He obviously he likes to build a... A project, and if we're not giving him the, the the room and the finances to do that, and we're sort of um, working on a tight budget, then he, he's going to get up, go up and leave. And I think it speaks volumes that the minute he's left, we're then selling our top scorer from last season. We can't negotiate a a permanent deal for Salomon Rondon, um, so he's left. So we've lost over fifty percent of the goals that we had last season, and. We're just a bit of a mess, so it'd be interesting to see who comes in. It'd be interesting to see if the takeover is anything other than a ploy to renew um, season tickets, uh, which which often happens every about this time every single year for the past seven or eight years. This is this has been the the sort of timetable that we've stuck to. We have a suspected track. We have a suspected takeover contract renewal. Sorry, season ticket renewals happen. Yeah. No transfers happen. It disappears off into the ether that this this buyer's gone again, and and that's how we are. We're just a, a big mess. So hopefully we'll have a new manager in place soon. It'll be someone interesting and not um, one of the old guard, one of the Mark Hughes's or Tony Pulis's, oh. which it would would probably if you were, if you if I was a betting man, I'd put money on Mark Hughes. Although he's and you get some good money if he did because he's sort of drifted out of the betting, but. Well, if you, if you um, look at the betting, it's at least 75% is the, the carousel of, you know, Allardyce and Hughes and Pardew and David Moyes as well, which would be, wouldn't be ideal as a Newcastle fan, would it? Um, it wouldn't be ideal as a football fan, <laughs> um, but as a Newcastle fan, he's got links to Sunderland, um, obviously, okay. so it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be great and, you know, there's, there's other managers out there that are available, um, that you wouldn't have to pay compensation for. You got personally, I'd like Giovanni Van Bronckhorst, someone like that, someone that's just oh. young and and plays attractive football, and you know doesn't mind working so much under a tight budget because that's what he's sort of more used to in um, when he was manager of Feyenoord. Uh, they weren't exactly throwing money around, um, and he's probably used to playing under a, a European structure, which is what. Ashley seems keen to move on yeah. to not necessarily with a director of football, but with someone making those decisions on transfers and someone else making those decisions on contract renewals and loans and things like that, and who we send out and where we send them. It's not all down to the manager, which is partially what happened with Benitez. says he wanted almost too much control that, that Ashley wasn't willing to relinquish, and they sort of came to blows on that. And you know. I think it was just convenient that his contract was up and they can say he wanted too much money and this takeover was happening. But in truth, there's so many different um, things in the, the melting pot that um, it was just a, a convenient time for, for for Ashley to almost get rid of Benitez and for Benitez to move on to arguably what's a better a better project with <laughs> some team in China where they're willing to spend the money and give him as much um, control over everything that he wants. So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tough one. Can you see Newcastle making any real progress while Ashley's still there? Or do you think he has to go for, the, for them to take the next step up? I think you'd, you'd hope that we could make progress because we, we, we generate a lot of money. Every, every Premier League team generates X amount of millions every season because of the way that the Premier League prize money is and the way that the TV deals are. Mm. There's a lot... We, and then our net spend is um, is is you know in minus figures. So there's money there that, that we could effectively spend, but you know our transfer um, 
record was was Michael Owen until um, Almiron joined uh, in January, and that was 2005. And then before then, it was Alan Shearer, which was 1996. So we don't throw a lot of money around, um, and we we generate a, a bit of money on ourselves, the likes of Yoan a while ago now, but we made a decent profit on him, and we we could effectively become that sort of club where we sell. You know, we we sell ourselves as a stepping stone and and get good players in and players and then sell them about some or look at someone like Leicester who sort of they 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 got themselves a Premier League title that no one was expecting and they built on that, yeah. But they built on it in a really effective and, and smart way in the way they signed players like James Madison and and Harry Maguire and things like that and they signed them for you know. 10 15 million quid but now look at harry Maguire's allegedly worth that's like 70 80 million pounds so if you sell him the that's one player that's your summer done you can reinvest all that money on four or five smart signings and then sell another player for 80 million pounds and, and reinvest that so newcastle need to look at that sort of thing and i don't think we'll be able to do that under ashley and um, because he's so stringent in the sort of players that he wants to buy and um, but sometimes it, it does feel like a bit of it's it's hard to say as a Newcastle fan, but sometimes it's a bit of better de- better the devil you know that you you just if someone else comes in, um, they could be even worse than Ashley is. Yeah. Um, so at least you know what you you're getting with Mike Ashley and the way he operates. But it's it's not ideal. You you do wish that not everyone's going to get a, a, someone like a Sheikh Mansour come in like Manchester City got and um, and invest that money you know massively and cleverly um in the way that he's done the academy or that city have done their academy now and and all the training pitches and different things like that or you could end up with you know like the assams that are at hold that want to change the team's name every so often or someone like that that's that's even worse than ashley so in an ideal world we would get a there's some billionaire Newcastle fan out there that no one's heard of that's willing to invest the money but until he surfaces then we're just going to have to make do and mend with either Ashley or some other unknown investor or buyer whenever that happens. I mean if you look at you know the likes of Watford Watford haven't got you know bags of cash but they've, they've set out this plan where they'll, they'll lose Marco Silva and Richarlison in the same season but then rebuild and end up finishing you know 8th I think they finished or you know, a really high finish from being savvy with their setup and their cash. At the opposite end, look at Fulham, who, you know, blew their load right at the start of the season and bought all these exceptional players, and now they're in the championship and half those players are going. I guess it's it's good to have that kind of stability. Yeah, I guess, yeah. And I think um, there, there's, I think Leicester, Leicester are the primary, anyone that, so, and it was Southampton a few years ago, and obviously they've, they, they sort of reinvested badly. Mark Hughes came in. I don't know if that don't know if that's a coincidence or not, but they had they had a smart setup with their managers. Ronald Koeman came in, you know, uh, Pochettino was there, um, and then they had they had good players like Van Dijk was there. And they made a lot of money off the back of him, you know. Vincent Wanyama was Vincent Wanyama, Victor Wanyama was there, so they've um, they, they, they were smart, and, and obviously it, it it sort of went a bit wrong somewhere. But and and Leicester are the other team to look at, and like you say, Watford Watford are sort of similar and. Wolves are sort of a bit of an outlier because they have that that strong relationship with certain agents and stuff that gives them, you know, almost first dibs on quite a lot of players that otherwise wouldn't wouldn't want to move to a city like Wolverhampton or a, a club like Wolves. So, you know, there's ways and means of doing things, um, and there's different models out there. And Newcastle need to pick one that that works um, is is reasonable for the owner in in terms of making money because they're not going to throw all their money away and, and flush it down the toilet but also breed success and in, in Newcastle and, and Mike Ashley aren't just uh, just not the quite quite the right relationship or quite the right sort of model to to follow well, obviously you're oh, you're someone who's born and bred in Salford or you live in Salford I live in Salford. I was born in um, born in Ascot. Um, lived in Preston for many years, and now live in Salford. So, so, why is it that you're a Newcastle fan then? Because I'm a masochist. Um, <laughs> because um, when I first got into football was around the time of Euro '96. Um, so I had no interest in football before then at all i'd much rather like just 
sort of play stupid like imagination games like things you know you pre- you pretend you were you know like a superhero or some something oh, I, like I that. I do that now. Well, yeah, I still do it now to be honest. That's <laughs> and I'm a footballer still. Um, so absolutely no interest in football up, to, up until that point, and then. I don't know. I don't know how it how it happened. Um, whether it was because it was taking place in England, or whether because someone at school had said something. Um, but I remember the first football match I can remember watching on the telly was England um, against Germany in the semi final, yeah. which is the first one I can actually remember. Some makes me think I must have watched one of the games building up to that because quite why I'd, I'd suddenly decide I wanted to watch the semi-final yeah. and non, you know it's like watching a, a trilogy and starting on the third film or something <laughs> quite quite why i want to go in at that time but yeah so i w- watched that semi-final and england score within the first couple of minutes um and alan shearer scored and i sort of knew who alan shearer was because he played for blackburn and i grew up in preston so yeah. not too far away from and blackburn were blackburn were good, <laughs> blackburn were good yeah. there um, so a lot of kids at school um, supported Blackburn and, and knew who Alan Shearer was through that. So I sort of knew he was a good footballer. Um, and then the next time I saw him, you know, England lost the semi-final and, and Gareth Southgate missed the penalty and I cried. And, <laughs> and I did, so, so some of it makes me think I knew what football was about because I, I cried at the penalty shootout loss. Um, and then the next time I saw Alan Shearer, he was joining Newcastle. So it was a bit of a glory support in decision on my part that I thought, well, he's obviously a good footballer, best best footballer in the world in my imagination. Yeah. So I thought, I'm going to support him because, you know, Newcastle must be good if they've got £50 million pounds to spend and they're signing the best player in the world. And um, I was incredibly wrong. <laughs> um, and it, it took me a few years to realise just how wrong I was. But by that that point, I was... I was in at the deep end. So, um, yeah, I've stuck with Newcastle ever since. And, um, you know, since some since some good high points, we've played in the Champions League, we've played in the FA Cup finals, um, we've played in, you know, European semi-finals. We got to the UEFA Cup semi-final back in about 2004. So there's been high points, but, yeah, it's all Alan, all Alan Shearer's fault um, <laughs> of why, why I support Newcastle. I had no, no idea back then. Um, my geography wasn't great in 1996, much worse than it is now. Um, so, I, so I had no real idea of just how far away Newcastle was and, and just what really I was letting myself in for. And I, I was quite lucky in that um, my parents really um, support, support, not support, they don't support like, neither supported my decision to support Newcastle. Um, neither of them yeah, like. You needed a, a support system, I think, for that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. But neither of them like football. My dad um, has, has never had an interest in football. Um, he's sort of into motorsport when he's sort of interested in any kind of sport at all. And my mum's no idea uh, about football. And my brother supported Preston, um, but he was sort of 18 at the time. And it's like, why would you want a little hanger on when you can go out and get drunk before the match, drunk after the match, and you don't want to like, I'm not sitting outside on a step of the pub with a bag of crisps while he's inside getting drunk, so the, the, the amount of influence he had on me was minimal, he took me to the first football match I went to see, which was a Preston game, and I went to a few Preston games um, but like I'd already made my decision and I stuck with it, and Preston they probably have more more relative high points in, in their, their brief well in their time um that i've been supporting newcastle um they've had they've been to two playoff finals um, to get into the premier league they've they've been promoted they've had you know relative you know they they were one nil up against man united in the fa cup like four years ago and i remember being dead pleased for them they won at wembley um to get promoted back into the championship so some, and I, I could have gone to a lot more matches if I supported Preston, but I sort of I've made my decision, and and you know I think it's hard to to, to even though I have no you know geographical or or familial sort of you know relationship with the city of Newcastle or the the, the club apart from the decision I made when all those years ago, um, you sort of stuck with it, and so I've I've had to stick with it as well. But it's been it's been a horrible decision, but it's been you know it gives you a sense of 
gives you a certain sense of humor the sort of team you support and the, the things that go on and gives you an appreciation of, of the good times that you've had you have to obviously go through the bad times as well but i think it makes it realize that you know you were lucky enough to play like so a lot of teams will never get to play in the champions league even if it's so you know three or four fixtures or well at least six if you make the group stage i suppose but you know we had a couple of seasons in the champions league and, and a lot of a lot of supporters aren't able to say that about their team and we, we've won at the new camp and you know we've, we've done all sorts while i've supported newcastle and um so i think you've just got to be a sort of realistic sometimes that you have had high points and, and and low points as well but and i've been lucky enough to to see the high one me and harry have always found that supporting so we'd grow up and i was the only Bolton fan in a sea of Liverpool fans. And, oh, it, was, it, it is awful. It is horrendous. A f- there's a few Everton plastic, fans. In the plastic scouse area where people will support <laughs> Liverpool, but, you know, going to the game, it's too far. But uh, we all, I've always found that it's much more fun to support a team, which is like where you actually go see them play and also... It's just like Bolton is an absolute shambles. It is completely <laughs> hilarious to watch. Just the absolute like I've, I've genuinely some of the, so some of the games that I've seen as draw no seen as beat Atletico Madrid, draw to Inter Milan. But my favourite Bolton game will be a six 0 loss to Bristol City away. Ah, <laughs> was hilarious, and that the highlight of that game isn't even isn't even anything to do with the football. It's that when I turned around from the third goal went in to extremely overweight men who were topless in February with Greco-Roman wrestling on the stairs <laughs> and that that, is, that that makes my favourite football match just purely because of that moment and it's just little things like that I, I don't think you'll see that at Anfield no oh. they've, they've got a strict ban against Greco-Roman wrestling <laughs> at Anfield mm-hmm. is that not what Operation Anfield exercise is yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of do you remember uh, or do you have a particular favourite game Johnny, that you've been to, or that I've, I've, I'm not, I've not. In truth, with with um, the distance to St James's Park, I've not been to enough matches. I've been, I've seen them away at Wigan, um, which was we won one nil. I think show that I'm very scored. Um, probably my, the best match, the best match Newcastle match I've probably been to. Um, not for the quality, not for the quality of football, but for more uh, what it meant was. It, it it took Newcastle to get relegated for for this match to happen, which um, speaks volumes about my relationship with Newcastle and, and Newcastle as a whole. But um, obviously, growing up in Preston, um, the dream was always that Newcastle would get to play Preston, and well, the, and the ideal scenario would be that Preston got promoted to the Premier League um, for that match to happen. But um, Unfortunately, the, they they choke in the the playoffs, and so Newcastle Newcastle did the uh, the moral thing <laughs> and got themselves relegated. Um, so, yeah. So the first time Newcastle played Preston um, was two thousand two thousand and nine, and it was November, and it was about two days um, before or after my birthday. Um, and I remember going um, to the match, and it was it was I can't remember what day of the week it was, but it was definitely it might have been a Monday night match. It was freezing cold. And I went on my own um, and I was stood next to this old Newcastle fan that kept talking to me. I, and I'd, he'd obviously been drinking on the coach because I had no idea what he was trying to tell. No idea what he was trying to tell me. So I nodded along. Um, but yeah, Newcastle won that one. nil. I think that was Kevin. Kevin Nolan scored. It was an awful, absolutely awful match. But it sort of culminated, you know, everything that I, that I ever grew up wanting. I've seen Newcastle... So Newcastle played Preston last time we were in the Championship at St James's Park, and that game sealed our promotion back. Um, so that was a good match to be at. But um, yeah, I tend to when I go to matches, they tend to be rubbish. Like I went to, <laughs> yeah, they. T- I think I'm a curse. I think maybe it's better. I stay. And I learned quite how much worse some of the performances that we put in could get. Um, you know, it's, it's a it's a low bar that Newcastle can aim for for now. It's one of those as well where you bring. If you bring ever bring someone along to a game and you lose, then you can never bring them again, even if it's their yeah. first. We I had one I went to um, Bury in the FA Cup after Wigan had got relegated the first time in the last couple of years to League One, and uh, we brought a, a friend along who was a Preston fan actually, and we sat in the home end because he knew a guy who had tickets. I went in my Wigan kit as well because I thought I was solid, 
Uh, ended up losing 4-0. Uh, goalkeeper scored an own goal where Richard O'Donnell grabbed it on the floor and then went to go up and like slipped and just spilt it in his goal. Because that's the calibre of players that Wigan were, were getting at that point. But I'm not sure. I'm not sure if you've ever been to Berry Stadium as well. You've got to walk through the Forbidden Forest to get to the stands. You, you pay. You pay for your ticket about a mile down the road, and then you've got to walk through this just wooded area with a load of men who have got Burnley tops that are made by Kappa, so they're too small on them. They're really tight. You know, tight, slim fit for for Barry down the pub who's four pints in. Uh, yeah, it's just the most mental stadium that, that's why i'm looking forward to going to luton next season. oh because yeah kenilworth roads you have to walk through a housing estate to get yeah. to the yeah. yeah i just think that's fantastic though because i mean as a wigan fan i miss the the era of because i'm a first generation wigan fan as well none of my family support wigan mm. there, there was the springfield park era which everyone i've got a stepdad who supports wigan actually who goes on about it and and, and how good it was and we just have this big concrete block that dave whelan built in the middle of a retail park I used to go to when I was a student. I went to university in Preston because, um, you know, you, do, you once you're there, you can never leave um, <laughs> Preston. So, uh, I used to go to used to went to a few matches at uh, the DW because they did when they were in the Premier League. They did quite cheap tickets well, for that, students. That's the, that's the only reason that my dad's a Liverpool fan. Yeah, and he used to go to Liverpool games all the time in the eighties and nineties and seventies and whatever. Then moved away and couldn't get a ticket again. So when he came back, the cheapest football, Premier League football, is Wigan. So I got dragged onto that. Well, sorry, carry on. <laughs> yeah, I used to just used to. Um, they were like fifteen quid, and then the train from uh, Preston to to Wigan was like three or four quid if you if you decided to pay. Um, so yeah, we used to go to that, and they had it was when they had like Antonio Valencia was there, Wilson Palacios, um, you know Emil Heskey, Chris Kirkland. So there was there was decent. You know, players. That Char- uh, I can't remember if Charles Nzogbia was there at the time or if he was still at Newcastle. But they had decent players. Lee Catamole, you know, yeah, well, when he was young and and before and he joined Sunderland, not brittle. <laughs> yeah, so they had good players, and it was and like you go there. We went, went watched them against Hull, and it was when out of the season where Amiazaki was there. Oh, well, we were talking and, about, about Emil Heskey before. Emil Heskey and Zaki's partnership is Zaki, Zaki scored that overhead kick. I wasn't there to watch that, but Zaki scored that overhead kick that was. Um, uh, was against, against Liverpool, Liverpool, Liverpool yeah. yeah, and he just—he right. was, was such a good player, but he—he he went—he went away to international for international duty for Egypt, and just didn't come back. He just decided to, to extend it, stay on a holiday, and Steve Bruce wasn't having it and, and got rid of him. I don't quite know what happened to him after Wigan. Uh, he went. To, he went to. He, he was on Hull, loan at Hull. Yeah, yeah. and he then he went back to Zam, Zamal, Zamalek. Zamalek, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just to sort of disappear because he linked it. He decided he was one of them classic players that comes to the Premier League and then starts linking themselves with moves to bigger clubs um, and then just down tools. And the, yeah, I think he he decided that uh, Real Madrid wanted him. I think the king um, of that has to be Peter Edmundi, who is a daughter of salesman of himself. He took it upon himself to, to travel down. No one showed any interest. So. Yeah, but um, yeah, Wigan. Wigan was quite fun to go. I remember Chris Kirkland could never stand still. Um, oh, the, you're, well, I'm, I've got. Um, we're currently sat in my room with a massive Chris Kirkland shirt behind me. Uh, he was kind. Of, I was a, a young goalkeeper, not very good, hmm. uh, and he was my idol. But then I never saw him play because he always broke his fingers catching balls. <laughs> he just like what the the pit the the player be up, up the other end of the pitch and he'd be doing shuttle runs just. <laughs> yeah. No, that's and what I like... used to do as a young goalkeeper. I was like, "Yeah, I've, I've seen Chris Kirkland do this," and but then they'd go on the counter and I'm at the edge of my box, you know, touch my toes, <laughs> and I've conceded. But uh, yeah, he, was, he played for Preston as well, very briefly. Chris Kirkland, right at the end of his career, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I just, I just remember. Yeah, they had good. I, I managed uh, Wigan on on Football Manager, um, 2009, and I signed loads of wonder kids. So. Um, Humphrey Sivert when he was good before he joined Newcastle. Um, uh, who else? Falcao. I signed those like uh, Balotelli. Um, so realistic like, signings then. Yeah, yeah. Willian, uh, Alex Textera that used to play for Shakhtar. So I signed all these yeah. players um, and won one FA Cup. And um, it's the it's like the worst 
Um, I've had some bad times on Football Manager, but that was the most embarrassing, signing all these great players and delivering one FA Cup. So, yeah, so I did. I used to have a bit of a soft spot for Wigan. Um, and then Newcastle fans played Wigan and went and trashed all the... Um, so Newcastle played Wigan and all the Newcastle fans trashed the uh, fan pitches nearby. So, um, and then had to raise money to pay um, pay for the the uh, refurbishment of the pitch and the relaying and the goalposts. Was that after the four nil? Or I can't remember. I think it was before the match, so I don't know what happened um, there. It's probably about two thousand and twelve or thirteen. It happened the, when we had that. Might be it. We, we had when we had Franco De Santo and we played Newcastle and we beat them four nil. And Franco De Santo chipped whatever keep you had when he was on his line. Steve Harper, probably. Yeah, and it was Steve Harper. <laughs> but I remember, um, I think Sky Sports were doing interviews outside the game, and a Newcastle fan was was shouting it at staff, requesting that all the Wigan players get drug tested <laughs> yeah. because they've just beaten Newcastle four 0 I remember this is the fan base that once punched a police horse. <laughs> <laughs> anything is anything is possible where where Newcastle supporters. It's where dreams come true. Yeah. Uh, but you speak about football manager. I mean, what's what's that football player? Sorry, that's um... got his own Twitter. Yeah, that you, uh, you... <laughs> he played for Celtic, and there's a tweet, and he drew Scotland. And is it the Czech Republic in the same group? What, what, what oh, Croatia. Your... Oh, is it Croatia? Yeah. What, what what's he called? Sorry, Avicii Strzok. Although yeah. that's what I call him. I once got a DM on Twitter off a very angry Croatian person who I think he heard me talking about it on um, the BBC World Service, and he. Um, I was talking about him and he sent me this really angry DM. It's like, you are not pronouncing his name properly. This is like, he gave me a proper phonetic um, explanation of how you pronounce Avicii struck. And I replied with, well, Avicii's never complained to me about it. So I don't <laughs> know what, what concern it is of yours. But um, yeah, Avi- the Avicii struck thing um, is a, a ludicrous uh combination of uh, loneliness grief um and too much football manager um which combined in a, a heady mix but it was it's, it, it was intra- it's stupid but it's um funny. it's very funny it's it's fun to do sometimes yeah. it's sort of he's that is uh sort of disappeared a bit off twitter at the moment because i've got too much of it uh, he's got too much other stuff to to be <laughs> to be getting on with but he'll he's he'll probably resurface quite soon within the next couple of months one would imagine um but uh yeah it's just like been on the bbc website two or three times he's been on you know national newspapers and things like that and i think it sort of it opened my eyes a bit because i think i I was sort of on the outskirts of what the media was like when this first happened. And um, a couple of other things have happened since um, this. And the, um, I started a petition to put Harry Maguire on the £50 oh, note. Was yeah. that you? Yeah. That was I me. I never knew that was you. I signed and, that petition not knowing it was you. But it's sort of... And then <laughs> people were interested in that. Um, and I went on uh, Five Live and Talk Sport to talk about it. But it just highlights just how much... Is especially with sort of twenty-four hour rolling news and things like that. Just how much they need to fill their time with sort of stories that they dig up and find. Like this, um, when we're talking now, Glastonbury's just been on, and um, the young lad that went on stage yeah, uh, with Alex. Dave, Alex yeah, from Alex from Glasgow, and his story is just gonna because people need things to talk about. And if one news station gets him. Another news station scared that they're missing out on those listening numbers or those reading numbers, so they'll get him as well, or they'll get someone to talk about it. So they all sh- so it becomes oversaturated, and that's sort of. He's I already look- got about four hundred thousand followers on Instagram. I know. Um, some of us, some of us have been working hard for years to get our followers <laughs> on Twitter, and all you have to do is what stand on a stage uh, to yeah, fair jump credit. Defenses. Yeah, but um, yeah, the Avicii Strop thing was 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 really fun, um, and it it raised a lot of attention for important causes, a lot of money as well. So it's been uh, fun, and yeah, to be in newspapers talking about like I I grew up playing like like I said earlier, like I didn't really have any interest in football, so I sort of um, in a losing battle when I got into football in terms of my knowledge of it um, compared to some of my other friends that had like, grown up and had like massive influences from their parents about going and watching football and reading up on it and learning about it. So 
football manager well championship manager as it was then was, was sort of my sort of way in and, and so I, I played a lot of it so I could learn who all the footballers were so I was you know to me Ibrahima Bakayoko and you know Alfonso um they play for Real Betis with the best players in the world and when you're telling this to someone and they're like are you sure it's not Dennis Burkamp or <laughs> oh. George Weyer the ones that are winning the awards it's like no 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 it's, just, it's this guy that plays for Montpellier <laughs> so yeah but it makes you sound really intelligent cultured. and slightly pretentious yeah, for for like a, a nine year old to come out with, no, no one knew who Montpellier were. So, um, but yeah, it was it was really uh, sort of beneficial a way to learn about football, and then to sort of make carry on playing it as much as I um, have. Um, I don't play as much nowadays because I've got to do horrible things like work and um, pay bills and things. Um, so. I don't play it as much now, but just to be able to to do stuff around it is is sort of a dream. And for football manager um, to sort of acknowledge who I am uh, and what I have done um, is like I was in a I was in a football manager released a documentary five years ago um, about the I think it was the twenty fifth or twentieth anniversary of football manager. Yeah. Um, so they released a documentary and I. Um, was in that talking this was before a feature struck happened this was a completely different story that i i ran with where i had a player at gateshead called wesley and Heng, who was in newcastle's reserves i signed him for gateshead um became obsessed with him got a shirt printed with his name on the back gateshead didn't offer shirt printing so i had to email the club secretary myself and um send them a check uh through the post to get this name printed on the back um he scored in every division um, up to the Premier League, became Gateshead's record goal scorer. Um, and then, like six months later, um, he got released from Newcastle and Gateshead took him on trial in real life, um, which I think is because they found out who he was when I asked for his oh, yeah. name to be part of the back of that shirt. So I'll take some credit for that. But yeah, so that I, I talked about that in, the, in this documentary and... Yeah, they, and then they sort of were fully behind the Avicii Strock um, nonsense. And yeah, they I've done did an interview for their website a few months ago where I talked about Football Manager. Right. So it's just like incredible. Um, and people on Twitter remind me quite often um, that I talk about Football Manager uh, far too much. But um, if they get to tweet about their stupid lives, then I get to tweet about <laughs> Tweet about my ridiculous life. Um, I, I have I have a friend, Powell, who plays for uh, Liverpool. He's the captain of the under eighteens. Mm. And um, I a, a video came up on my YouTube thing of, of someone playing football manager, and this lad, I can't remember. This lad had done a three hundred episode series on football manager, but had taken my mate at every single <laughs> club that he'd been to, and like won the Champions League with Stoke. As my mate, when my mate's thirty-eight, I remember being sat at my mate's house when it, this came through, and I sat through and I looked at it. I think it's just mental how I don't know people can be so obsessive in a in a good way, but it, you know it, it can really you can almost vicariously live another life. Well, so, it. Some of us literally opened a Twitter account for someone <laughs> someone that's not even at least your you know your mates are a real person. This this is of each of each a stock only ever featured on my game so yeah and it's it's hot like a few obviously i was at celtic with um when this all happened avicha happened and you get um sometimes get celtic supporters going oh what do you what do you think of uh, like this player at celtic or that place i don't know who any of the, i'm I, i'm in 2066 now most of the players most of the players that are playing for celtic now are probably dead by this point so <laughs> I don't know who half these people you're talking about are, but I can tell you all about this lad that I signed from from Everton in 2050, if you want. But no, no one seems to care so much about him. They just want to know my thoughts on Scott Brown. So. <laughs> Is it... you, uh, oh, sorry, you go. You talked about when it was called Championship Manager. I started playing football. I started playing football manager for FM15. I only ever played one Championship Manager on my brother's PSP in about 2008. I want to say. And my only memory of that is the only way I would know how to sign players would be going onto the national teams and just trying to sign players that were in those squads. So there's a point where oh, I can't remember which team I was managing. It was a lower, lower league team. 
and the only country that I signed players from were Lithuania. <laughs> and I had a player called like it's called like Milikas or something. But make sure you pronounce this right because you might get an angry message. <laughs> I might get an angry somewhere. message. From yeah. Uh, and then he didn't score for three games, and I'd spent my whole transfer budget on this random Lithuanian cam because he was the only player that wanted to go into talks with this team. Uh, so I just demoted him to the youth team for approximately a season and a half, and so I briefly remembered that I had this Lithuanian superstar. He was going to solve my goal drought a year and a half on, and then he didn't take too well to being dragged back up. <laughs> well, when I was, um, so this would be uh, probably championship manager, about 2000 or, or 2001, I, um, I took over at Newcastle, which I don't do anymore because I can't, can't work with a virtual Mike Ashley because um, <laughs> he's, he's still even worse than the, probably the real one. Um, but this is this was obviously before Mike Ashley, but I was a Newcastle manager. And in real life, I had this real uh, dislike of a player called Silvio Maric, who was Croatian. Um, and I have no idea to this day why I had such a dislike of him but on championship manager you could find players and you could specify that the reason and one of the options was no reason so i would <laughs> find him two two weeks wages for no reason every two weeks um i wouldn't sell him i just constantly find him but um yeah he was he was absolutely uh terrible but um i talk about football manager for ages but um if you play football championship manager 2008 this is going to be a really boring story until i get to the good part so yeah. bear with me this is going to be like a wikipedia of what happened but football manager so football manager used to be called championship manager until about 2004 or 5 and then they split in two so sega took over champ sega took over football manager and it became football manager and they got all the database and all the the coding and stuff and then edos um carried on as championship manager and they got to keep the name so it was pretty rubbish all they had was the name and none of the information so they created um carried on making championship manager for a bit and on one of them i can't remember which one it was but they basically gave rafael da silva the ex man united right back they gave him um 99 potential ability which <laughs> Would have made him better than Lionel Messi, Pele, and Maradona if he'd reached his potential. So, according to the creators of, of Championship Manager, Rafael da Silva is um, the greatest uh, piece of un, unfulfilled potential in in football history. So, um, yeah, I, they stopped making Championship Manager games. Yeah, now. probably for a reason. Uh, yeah, probably. Um, Rafael da Silva bought all the copies of <laughs> for posterity and. Um, <laughs> They've never been able to, to justify those hikes ever again. I'm sure you will have seen uh, that there was a save introduced, where, like a downloadable file, where you could play the new football model, the current instalment of the game, on, I think it's the 2001-02 season, or it might be around that time. I can't remember the exact year, but I remember Ronaldo's at Real Madrid. You've got most of the Arsenal Invincibles team. And it's just, it's unbelievable. I've not played it because I've not got this year's game yet, but it does look unbelievable. Yeah, people are, um, to say I, people think I play a lot of uh, football manager, there's people there that make it the most amazing, like just type in football manager experiment on, on YouTube and there's people doing incredible things with, with their time and, and ability on the, the editor and stuff like that. Um, so there's the thing I love about and there's many things I love about football manager evidently but the thing I love about most of it is just how lost you can get in it and um, and how you can sort of make your own story and everyone's story around it you know, two people could sign exactly the same player for exactly the same team but the, the stories that develop from it could be completely different and and people love as you can tell people love telling their stories and um, it's a way of bonding with different people, and, and yeah, I, I, it's it's been a life lifesaver um, in social situations for me, <laughs> for me more than once to just bring up um, and hope for the best that the other person you're talking to has played football manager and just chat chat to them about it. And it's it's a really good icebreaker um, with the with the right people. Other people just think you're a, a terrible bore. But uh, well, me and Ollie once played a. A full. It was me, Ollie, and a and a friend. But obviously, you need you need the four. You need four people for a league. Uh, yeah. When we were doing the draft, so we put Robbie Williams in. Obviously, <laughs> uh, Robbie Williams is phenomenal at football manager. Apparently, <laughs> I went on a 
some obscene winning streak smashing us all. He, he was, to be fair, he was a bit of a fraud. He, he signed Aguero and De Gea, and we're trying to, you know, go for undiscovered, you know, Aston Villa reserves. Mm. Yeah, yeah and I remember being beaten eight 0 by Robbie Williams and wanting to cry. I just didn't understand it. I thought <laughs> I, I, I slaughtered my team, slaughtered Harry, four 0 and then went and played Robbie Williams and lost six one. And I didn't understand what Robbie Williams knew about football. I didn't. Where did he? What had he tapped into? To, those angels to, to, to discover those. Well, you, you were speaking about football manager, and you, obviously you reference football manager a lot in your tweets, and you, you've got a lot of too people. much. Too much apparently. You can never get According to, to the angry DMs and <laughs> direct messages. But, but I mean, you've built up this audience on on Twitter and you've got this influence. When did you first realise that you had, I don't know, a bit of a bit of weight to throw around, or a bit, you know, or you were you were Twitter famous? Um, a better word. I, I still, it's I have a lot of um, imposter syndrome. I get invited to a lot of things and it's like I shouldn't be there, and it's still not probably quite sunk in like i'm happy i have 50,000 more people follow my um twitter account than there are uh, seats in sunderland stadium of light and you know that's about 10 times more people than actually turn up to their fixtures so <laughs> it's uh, a um i yeah so i mean i was quite a reasonably early adopter of, of twitter really um I used to be on, you know, I've been through them all, um, MySpace and, you know, I, I never had a Bebo, um, <laughs> but like uh, Facebook, when that when you had to have like a university email address to sign up for it. So I've always been in and around social media. It's just sort of what we've grown up with. Um, so I joined Twitter quite, there was a big buzz around it when um, Stephen Fry joined it and he, he was tweeting, yeah. it got stu- he got stuck in a lift. Um yeah, so it, that was one of the first massive sort of, like I said before, people are scra- scrabbling around for news stories to fill 24-hour news, and that somehow became quite a big story. So I just sort of joined Twitter and see what it was about. And to me, it was just like constant Facebook status updates. Um, so uh, I didn't really see the point of it. So ditched it for a while and then went back to it. But it was just, I always liked talking about football talking about football manager um and sort of not taking it too seriously because you can't with supporting newcastle because it would give you a a cardiac arrest if you took stuff that goes on at newcastle too seriously so it was um you know and i was like me like me and my mates i used to live with a couple of lads and we'd just watch football constantly and make comments and jokes about it and just to make each other laugh and it was just fun so I always did that and was on football forums and just posting nonsense about football and I started a blog and and about football and it was a bit of a Mickey's hate one um and yeah just I think just carried on doing that and a couple uh, of big um accounts would steal my tweets so oh. it's like the lab lab bible lab, lab, a lab big bible one the and, and the sport yeah bible places like that so it's like it's sort of it's annoying um but it sort of tells you that there's an audience whether it's the sort of audience that you really want to attract um but there's an audience for it so just carry on and then you sort of get the attention of the right people so um and then they share your tweets to a wider audience and then they their audience then if they like the tweet or follow you and so it's sort of a gradual build-up of, of that and i don't I tweet a lot less than I used to um, because, like I said before, but the same reason I play less football manager than I used to because I've got other life. stuff. Yeah, life gets in the way and, and things like that. But, um, but yeah, it's just I remember um, Adam Hurry was one of the first big, biggish football cliches. It was one of the first big people to follow me and retweet it and um ian mcintosh that runs the totally football show as well and yeah you get you get an audience and they share it with their audience and it sort of grows from there and if people like it people like it people don't they'll tell you about it um and you do your best to ignore it a lot of the time and sometimes you get snappy and snap back to them and regret it immediately and carry on with you i I once got into a spat with alexi lalas (laughs) the former uh, US men's captain over Bob Bradley. Um, 
for, for that same reason for for him snapping back at me yeah that's another story <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, with the audience that you do have, do you ever feel pressure almost to to get tweets out or to get quality tweets out, or does it just come naturally? Um, there's like I can go I can go um, days without tweet. I'll still be checking Twitter because it's a good source of news. Um, but if there's nothing that strikes a chord, then I'll leave it. I don't feel I did some work in the World Cup last year for a company. Um, covering their England matches um, on Twitter and there there is pressure to, to put stuff out because you're getting paid for it and in my in my on my actual Twitter account I'd rather have one good well-rounded well thought through tweet um, than 50 forced sort of mediocre ones um, but when you're getting paid for it and you're there for like four hours and getting X amount of money to do it you can't just put out one tweet because that's you're not really earning your money and they're not going to be happy they're, they're, they work off the analytics and watched it and shared it and followed you off the back of it and things like that um, so there's a lot of pressure in that regard and it's pressure that I particularly didn't enjoy I enjoyed the money um, <laughs> but um uh, it's it's tough um and people so it was um one of the socials accounts that's linked to a betting company um so i i agreed it on the proviso that i didn't have to send out any odds um or any sign up offers or anything like that but i think a lot of the people that follow those sort of accounts want that information they want to be told what the odds are for the england matches or the next goal scorer um or they just want to be told that the team that they support is really good and all the other teams are really rubbish so if you try and do a good joke about one football team they're like why are you, why are you taking the mick out of my football team why aren't you taking the mick out of this football team so it becomes difficult and especially i feel like a lot of the people that follow me know my voice yeah. If that makes sense, they know where what angle I'm coming at. They know I've got established jokes that people yeah, get. Yeah, obscure football references and trivia. Yeah, or like different comments that people would associate with me. Um, and if you try and replicate that on a different account where they don't really know who you are, it, yeah, you, you can't you get the same. Yeah, if you the Bear Camp's turn on Nikos Davizaz was a fluke on an account that's not associated with you. People, yeah, people might not um, be prepared for those kind of truth bombs. <laughs> so, um, so it's difficult, and and, when, and so I didn't really enjoy it, and it sort of did put me not off social media, but sort of put me like I think for long. I think I enjoyed Twitter. I enjoyed making people laugh, and, or you know, enjoying what you say or the conversation and stuff. And so you sort of, if you enjoy something like that, I guess it's just, I guess it's the same for a footballer or, or anyone in an industry where they're working in, where it would be, they gladly do it for free or it's, they're getting paid to do their hobby or whatnot. But it does sort of, I can see why a lot of footballers don't watch football outside of playing it or, you know, they put, they have other hobbies, they have NBA or they have NFL or golf or, or what have you. Because it is hard to be paid and have this pressure and expectation on something that you would otherwise enjoy and so it did sort of after the world cup i thought i need a a bit of a break from this um and that lasted about a week i don't, <laughs> don't know why I, don't know why i pretended that i could steer clear of it but i don't think i feel sometimes i feel like i have a i have a really bad habit of deleting my tweets within about 20 minutes of posting them because I, i'll change i'll change that. yeah i'll change my mind on them so quickly like i can i'll probably sometimes think of think of a joke and try and get the word in bang on or think of a comment and, and get the word in bang on or a pit or photoshop something try and get it spot on and then post it and then i'll i'll see i'll decide now the punchline's in the wrong place or the punctuation makes the joke not work or you know there's a little blemish on this picture that probably no one else can see but i've seen it now so i won't be able to unsee it and so i'll delete it um so i think i lose confidence in a lot of tweets and I'll, a lot of the time 
I'll delete them. Sometimes I'll just mute them because I don't want anyone to point out what I've noticed and say it don't work. And it's like you argue to no one in the replies and do your thing. Um, so, yeah, I think it is hard and um, I'd str- I, I'd struggle to, to do it in any other capacity other than my own now um, after experiencing what it's like to do it um, as sort of a job almost. Um, but... I, I enjoy Twitter. I enjoy I enjoy establishing the the like you've touched on the Dennis Burkamp thing or the, the my other go to one is the Wayne Rooney only having yeah. fifty two international goals, um, which I like that people will sometimes tag me and stuff, um, but it does feel a bit sometimes like when people obviously shout garlic bread at Peter Kay whenever he's walking down the street. Um, yeah. And you can't re- respond to all of them. And that's where that uh, sort of did the Ricardo um, fuller comment off the back of that, um, that people, it's a lot of people are going to tag you in the same thing. So a lot of people, when Ricard, when the Premier League posted the Ricardo Fuller um, goal, um, where it was kind of similar to Dennis Burkamp, a lot of people were tagging me in that. And I can't sit there all day and respond to each one individually. So if there's enough headwind, yeah, do a blanket sort of response yes. yeah um and talk about it that way but um it's just it's nice to have that um impact i guess um on on people that they obviously enjoy what you're saying and they've they've taken it and they remember it and um people i think sometimes people remember my tweets better than i do oh. um and uh, that's a good thing. I like I like the idea of people um, sharing them. And it's I always wanted to be a bit of a performer when I was younger. Like I said earlier, that I wanted I used to make up plays about that I'd star in. Um, you know, not the coolest thing in the world. Do you no, know what no, I mean? No, I, I get what as, you mean. As like a, as like a, a eight year old, nine year old, ten year old, or whatever. And, and I wanted to be an actor i wanted to be when i got a bit oh i wanted to be a comedian and then the hard thing about being a comedian is that you have to get up on a stage and talk to people that you don't know and sort of you have to have a certain confidence or mindset or be able to pay, play a, a character that can fake that confidence for long enough to do it on a stage and it just i think i sort of realized that i couldn't do that and so it's gonna it sounds when you analyze something and over analyze something like twitter it's gonna sound a bit nonsensey in a bit you know but twitter sort of if you can work a, as it was 140 characters now 280 characters into a good joke and it's that's sort of like twitter becomes your stage and you can tell the jokes without having to have the confidence to stand on a stage and tell it people can still heckle you um <laughs> a lot and, more people heckle you i think on i know I, if i was if i was telling jokes in a fifty thousand uh, seat stadium i'd be sunderland um <laughs> but you know um yeah it is like i it, think it's, it a bit, gets... it's a bit of an a different craft or a different type of comedy almost to like you, you talk about stand-up comedy and, and speaking to large crowds of people but you've got to perfect a, a joke and a punchline and you know an obscure reference maybe in your case you know a successful style that you constantly replicate yeah i think i think if you someone i I think i tweet so there's certain things that i tweet about for a while and then try and drop into the background before people get too bored or annoyed of them barring the sort of the two we touched on earlier with the wayne rooney and dennis burkamp thing but um so when when there's a job opportunity come up a sort of a, a managerial vacancy a top club i have a admittedly quite annoying habit of link, saying that david moyes will go for it or, or one of the old guard will go for it um and people got started to get a bit annoyed about that and so you um i said to someone you don't go and see like the rolling stones and not expect them to play you know give me shelter or something like that so um you you've got certain sort of hits that you like to play out every yeah. so often um so i, I do that new material in, at the end yeah and then, yeah and, and see how people react to them but um no uh, um yeah twitter's been great uh for sort of what i always wanted to do but sort of doing it in a different way in a different style um and sort of learning a new craft almost it taught me how to use sort of photoshop so uh, when i when i saw people like um 
bearded genius um, Nas. Yes. Um, he was massive on uh, photoshopping stuff, and he's got a, a talent and an eye for things. Um, and he was sort of an early adopter of that sort of thing. And then I had a friend called Alwyn who doesn't really use um, Twitter anymore, but he was banging. He was like ridiculous when the um, Welbs is that guy thing. Oh. I, can't, I can't believe I've said that out loud um, <laughs> as an inc- as an incredibly white middle class person. What's yeah. the sound uh, like now? Um, people, Danny Welbeck can use that as his message tone um, if he ever <laughs> wants to um, but he was massive on, on photoshopping loads of stuff about that and I sort of <laughs> got a bit jealous that I couldn't do it so I taught, my, taught myself and watched YouTube tutorials and can sort of do it to a mediocre standard now uh, it's another string to your bow if you ever decide to go into a new job or something so it's forced me to learn how to do that so it forced me to learn how to spell things properly it me to, taught me how to use punctuation more than i could have ever you know five years of high school could have ever hoped to um because people pick up on your punctuation if it's not quite right oh considering i openly do writing and and write articles for websites if i at any sort of sometimes i'll really you know drop a bollock and and use the wrong your or something when i'm not paying attention oh you'll get even from you know I've, i've had uncles who message me over it you know, have a day off, Steve. It's not on really. Yeah, I'll put commas halfway through sentences and think that's grand until I read it back later and it's like actually read it out loud and put the the space where the commas should go into what you're actually saying. It's like that's absolutely not. That's one that'll get deleted. So, um, Will you stick a semicolon in there and it makes you seem intelligent? No one questions you. I, I've literally just done a tweet like, uh, probably about 40 minutes ago where I put a semicolon in and felt very good about myself. So, <laughs> See, um, I. I... I studied English at A level. I still don't know where to put a semicolon. I stick it where it... it looks smart. Yeah, I think that's the best way to be honest. It's like wearing a bow tie. You know, it, it, there's never there's never a, a specific occasion to wear a bow tie, but it makes you feel like James Bond when you do. So semicolons Clown. make me feel like James Bond. <laughs> clowns, clowns wear uh, bow ties. <laughs> don't forget that as well. Yeah, cl- clowns probably use semicolons as well. Well, speaking of someone that did a tweet 40 minutes ago featuring one, I can confirm that clown. You send me a colon. What I did, I did want to touch on, maybe moving away from the, the football side and, and getting a bit more serious, but you you were mentioning about Ivica Strzok uh, helping out some massive causes. Yeah. Obviously, you're an ambassador for the Calm Zone. Yeah. Not to be too personal, but how, how important do you think the Calm Zone is as an entity for just modern day and around the stigma of mental health and, and that kind of thing. Um, I, uh, yeah. So the reason that I became involved with, with calm, um, was that my older brother who we talked about earlier, taking me to football matches and the first person that ever taught me how to play championship manager. So he's got a lot to be blamed for. Um, he, uh, for four years, uh, four and a half years ago, just over now, um, he took his own, completely out of the blue um and i never sort of encountered that scenario before none like sort of i'd never known of anybody sort of close to me that had experienced it either so it sort of came as a complete shock and not really knowing how to react or what to do and so my dad it was he decided we were gonna raise 200 pounds was what he wanted to do well i've I've seen Uh, the the the, go, the GoFundMe, I think, and the, you know, smashing the targets. Yeah, so we wanted to raise 200 quid just before my brother's funeral um, because he wasn't um, much of a one for flowers, my older brother. He was much more of a one for a can of Fosters or something. So um, we decided we'd, we'd not get him any flowers for 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 his funeral we'd we'd raise 200 quid which is about what people spend on flowers for funerals apparently i've never really looked into the calculations myself but um so we just set up a a just giving page for 200 pound and it's now at six just over six thousand pounds like four and a half years later so all that money's gone to calm and my dad was the one that found out about calm he said you know Charities like the Samaritans and Mind are incredible charities and they're doing incredibly important work um, around mental health and suicide prevention and things like that. But everybody's heard of the Samaritans and everybody's heard of Mind. So my dad really wanted to sort of find a smaller charity that almost don't get the same attention and the same fundraising as those two do. Um, 
and then he came stumbled across calm and they were so focused on mental health suicide prevention and with the specific aim of um working around men in that area um, and obviously my brother um was a man um so it sort of made sense to sort of pick them so we sort of just raised that 200 quid and, and obviously over the 200 quid and then decided that the work that they were doing was was amazing and sort of I decided I wanted to do my own fundraising thing which is where Avicii yeah. came in and we created some testimonial programs um for his uh testimonial um <laughs> some actual ones and, and um I was helped um with that by a friend called Charlie and he helped do a lot of the design and I'd come to him with these ridiculous ideas and he managed to put them on photoshop and, and publisher and things like that and then printed them off um professionally and sold them um, and raised money that way and you know um when you tell a, a charity that you want to raise money for them by selling testimonial programs for a football match that not only takes place in the future but is completely fictional for a footballer that is also completely fictional they sort of want to have a bit of a word with you and make sure that this is all all right um yeah. so that's how i got involved with with calm initially um more directly than just a bit of cash raising and they really took to it and um had a good relationship with them ever since um and which culminated in becoming an ambassador for them so joining the likes of Ramesh uh, Ranganathan and Professor Green and and Frank Turner and people like that that are sort of real sort of headline people that are, have hundreds of thousands and go on massive tours and, and stuff like that um to be in with some of them um is incredible um just for posting stupid jokes on twitter but i think it reaches the right audience i'm not sort of um there's 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 a lot of work to be done around gender stereotypes and um things like that um but football um is still a very male dominated area and a lot of i'd say a vast vast majority of of my followers are, are young men and they're sort of the ones that need to hear the message the most um around this so it's really good that i can use football use my twitter account use football manager use um stupid jokes to sort of bring attention to such a worthy and, and important cause and to do it all like it's it was a horrible time after I lost my brother and it was really difficult for um, our whole family, everyone that came into contact with him, but to sort of be able to have this positive outcome almost um, from it has been really beneficiary, uh, beneficial, sorry. Um, and it's just incredible to, to do the work and see what is and, and hear from people that have struggled themselves and, and have seen a tweet that I've done and um, have contacted Calm off the back of it um, and to just know that you're there making a difference and um, you know it's a lot a lot of my sense of humour, a lot of my interest in football a lot of my interest in football manager and championship manager comes from my brother so to be able to, to use those sort of lessons and, and the important things that he um, taught me and, and shared with me to make a difference um, in his memory is really um, special, I think. And I think it's fantastic how, I mean, I remember when you, you did a video for Copper 90 a while back on on the topic. Yeah. And I, d I did think it was wonderful in, in a sense to see, it, it was, you know, because there's obviously the stigma of men bottle up their emotions and they, they don't yeah. have to talk about stuff, but to, to look at the replies to that, and see all these people who are talking about helping their friends out and and perhaps being more open with stuff that they've bottled up because they've seen they've seen you come out and talk about your feelings. It must feel quite nice in a sense, or feel quite poignant. Yeah, it's it's definitely something um, special. Uh, seeing how people how people how well people react to it and how um, sort of far people. I've come in such a short space of time. Um, it might have just been my naivety or my probably more my ignorance um, when my brother passed away that I had no idea of just how prevalent um, suicide and things like that, um, mental health conditions were. Um, I had friends that had suffered 
uh, with depression, you know, friends that had anxiety and, and different eating disorders, things like that. Um, but you know, it's, it's a hand that feels like a handful of people and you don't really think with your, within your circle of friends and acquaintances to extrapolate that to a wider sort of millions. But there are, if you have, you know, 10, 10 mates and two of them are struggling, you extend that out across the whole population. That's a lot of people that are struggling with different mental health conditions and, and issues. And, um, so it was a real learning curve and to see it's made real inroads and, and, gone massive and if it's going to help more people it's going to help more people and that that can only be a good thing and it's hard because the more you learn about it the more frustrating things become and the more sort of angry you can become and um you learn that it's so underfunded and places like the Samaritans and Calm and Mind and all those other charities exist purely because the funding around the NHS mental health services is quite poor um, that it, it, it does make you a bit frustrated and annoyed um, but I'm not hopefully not going to get on my high horse about it but yeah there's just not enough funding around mental health and that's why these charities have to step in and do and do their incredible work Definitely, I, I do think Obviously, I've, we've we've kept you for quite a while. <laughs> it's I, all right. But I do um I do think that's quite a poignant thing to you know an important thing to end on. Yeah. You know, something to take away from this. But uh, Johnny, I want to thank you massively for yeah. giving us the time. Especially, it's all right. But yeah, unless you have any title, if you want to plug anything. No. Um. You can follow if anyone wants more information on on Calm, the charity that we're associated with. Um. Their website is thecalmzone.net, and you can follow them on Twitter at thecalmzone. Um. You can follow Avicii Strock at Avicii Strock Ten. He's going to come back to Twitter in a, a few months' time for um some important um, announcements probably. Um. And um. If anybody really uh, wants to hear lots of jokes about football manager or Nikos Dabizas and they can follow me at Johnny Gabriel 